Well, turn with me now to Luke chapter 10, and we are going to take on together the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was a few weeks ago now, I was at Walmart there in Short Pump getting my mother's groceries as I do on Saturday mornings typically. And so I'm loading her groceries in the back of my car when a guy come up, comes up behind me, he says, hey man, can you give me some help? Well, I thought he was going to be asking for money. That happens from time to time, but he wasn't asking for money. He said, I need help jumping my motorhome over there. And so I look over at the motorhome. I see it over there in the corner of the lot. And I said, oh, okay, we'll do that. So he started heading back to his motorhome and I continued putting the groceries in there. But I, I'm now assessing there's some risk involved with this. I know it's daytime, it's the morning, but there's risk here. I don't know this man. And it is over in the corner of the lot. And then I looked at his motorhome and I thought, that's the type of motorhome that a serial killer <laughs> would drive. I'm not joking about that. I mean, it's funny, but I'm not joking about that. In fact, after church, my cell phone's in my office. I'll show you. I'll show you pictures because here's what I did. I thought, as I go over there, I need to get some pictures of this creepy looking motorhome and I need to get a picture of the license plate and I need to text it to Joy. So I did. Without him knowing, I'm snapping pictures. Joy, I'm helping this guy out. And uh, you know, basically, if I don't come home, run the plate. So I go over there and, uh, and we jump his car. Now I'm on high alert the whole time we're doing it because I'm thinking it may not just be him. This could be a team of people. Somebody could come out of the motorhome, you know, knock me out of the way, steal my car. I don't, know what the, I don't know what's about to happen here, but it turns out I misjudged the man. And I misjudged his motorhome because it was all legitimate. We got his motorhome, jumped really fast. And I heard some of the difficulties he's been going through in his life. And I got to share one of our wristbands with him and share some about Christ with him. Totally misread the situation. But then I go from that, helping a person in a sketchy situation, to going to be the sketchy guy needing help myself. Because I left there and I went to Walgreens. So I left Walmart to go to Walgreens to pick something else up for my mother. And so I locked my car and I headed into Walgreens. When I remembered, oh, I left my phone in the car. So I'm going to go get my phone. So I use my key fob to open up the door. Won't open. Won't open, won't open, won't open. Why won't this thing work? And, uh, but my phone's in there. I thought, how am I going to get help when my phone is in there? I even tried the key and the door wouldn't work. It was crazy. So I thought, now I got to go ask for help So of, of some stranger. So I go and I go into Walgreens thinking, who's going to let me use their phone? I'll, I'll ask the Walgreens lady at the front desk there. She, you should have seen her face. I mean, I'm wearing jeans and a hooded sweatshirt and a bundle with a coat on top of that. I'm not looking very pastoral, I guess. She doesn't know me. She's looking at me like, what kind of scam is this? Because I'm holding my key saying I'm locked out of my car. <laughs> and my phone's in there and I need to call my wife. And, and I even added to it because I'm, I'm seeing the disbelief in her face. And I just helped another guy jump his car. Maybe he did something to my electrical. I mean, I'm just trying. And she's got to think, this is unbelievable. So I, I finally say to her, as I see this look on her face, you dial the number, you dial the number. And, and she went for that. So she dialed the number to home and uh, to Joy's cell phone. And guess what? Joy wouldn't pick up because <laughs> it's coming from Walgreens. You're thinking they're probably just calling about some prescription. I'm not going to pick that up, you know? So the, the happy end of my story was I go back out there and think, I just got to try again. You know, maybe my key fob will work. And sure enough, it, it opened right up. Haven't had the problem since. I don't know what that was. But it was so weird to go from assessing a guy and the risk he might be to being the guy being assessed and the risk I might be all within a matter of five, 10 minutes. Well, we're coming into a parable here that Jesus tells about helping a stranger. 
And there's some parallels here because we're going to read a story and be reminded of a story where there were some people who saw this situation, as Jesus told it, and they just didn't want to get involved. They just want to walk by. But then there was one person filled with amazing compassion who got deeply involved out of love for a neighbor. And so we're going to take on that one together. I, I suppose this is the most famous parable of our Lord, wouldn't you think? I mean, it'd probably be a, a close contest for which one, but this one certainly ranks up there because even our culture, very far from Christ, knows the term Good Samaritan. Probably when you watch the news later today, there'll be some story and the reporter who doesn't know Jesus is going to talk about this being a good Samaritan. We all know the story. Now, let's remind ourselves, how are we going to understand the meaning of the good Samaritan parable? Well, anytime we come to a parable, we've said this, we first need to see that parable through the lens of the gospel message itself. At the same time, we're going to consider the context, what was going on and what was it that was being said that Jesus then responded with a parable? In this case, what was happening when Jesus gave this masterpiece of a parable, the Good Samaritan? Well, we have that for us right here, Luke 10. Let's pick up in verse 25 and see the setting of this parable. We read this, and behold, a lawyer stood up, catch this, to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So before we get to the parable, we find Jesus' teaching. And in the midst of his teaching, at some point, this lawyer stands up to ask a question. So what kind of lawyer are we talking about here? So we're not thinking in terms of a lawyer in our American legal system. When we read about a lawyer in the New Testament, these were experts in Jewish religious law. In particular, experts in those first five books of the Old Covenant. So Genesis through Deuteronomy. This person will be an expert in the law. So Luke tells us, though, that this man stands up, but he's not a sincere man, and he's not asking a sincere question. Notice verse 25 again. He stood up to put Jesus to the test. So this man's not humble. He's not a teachable inquirer. He's hoping somehow to show Jesus up in this encounter. Like so many had done, he was trying to trap Jesus in some way. Now, had he been sincere, consider it with me, this would have been a perfect question to ask the perfect one. Because the question was amazing. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, I hope many of you are asking that question right now. Hey, what, what do I need to do that I might live forever in heaven rather than in torment? What do I need to do? I hope you're asking that, but I hope you, unlike this lawyer, I hope you're asking in a very sincere way, how, how am I going to be right with God? How do I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die? I hope you're asking that. And I want to give you a gospel answer here in just a moment. Man, think about it. The guy was asking a great question to the right one. He had the savior of the world right there, the one who could have saved him. But he's asking in a challenging, insincere way. So Jesus answers him with a question of his own. Again, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus responds to this expert in the law with the law. Hey, you're an expert in the old covenant law. What's the old covenant say? And so he answers verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said this, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, if you keep those two commandments, you're going to live. Now, here we have to pause here because we have to ask now a very important theological question of the utmost importance. Is Jesus teaching here that the way to go to heaven is by trying to keep the law? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Absolutely not. That's not what Jesus is saying. This takes us back to our context. Jesus is not talking to a sincere person, asking a sincere question about how to go to heaven. Jesus is talking to an arrogant challenger. Again, notice he's trying to put Jesus to the test with this question. So Jesus is indicating to him, you know, if you could keep these two commandments, you'd live. But the implication here is no one can keep these two commandments. I like what R.C. Sproul said, just taking on that first commandment of loving God with everything. He says this, there is no one, not one person who has kept the force of this commandment for the last five minutes, let alone for their entire lives. For to say that you love God with all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and all your heart really is to say that you never sin because it would be impossible to sin if you loved God in this way. So likewise, this morning, you're deceiving yourself. If you hear that wonderful commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you say, that's me. That's always me. I love God with everything I have and I always have. You're deceiving yourself. It's a great law, but you haven't kept it. And likewise, if you hear that command to love your neighbor as yourself and you go, man, that is me to the T. How do they know? That is me. I always do that. No, no, you're deceiving yourself. It's not true. So no, no, look at verse 29. We see this continued hostility in the heart of this lawyer. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he gives the law, the good answer about the law. Now he's question, questioning more, who's my neighbor? Looking for some kind of loophole, I suppose. Looking for some kind of technicality to narrowly define neighbor where he could say, I meet that standard. This man was far off. His heart was far off and he did not realize it. And it's into this context that Jesus gives us this famous parable that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's pick up together verse 30. Jesus replied in response to who is my neighbor, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus asked this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, 
the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus tells this parable in response to the question, who is my neighbor? So Jesus gives him an answer. He even pulls out the answer from this man. And he even illustrates in the story what it looks like when a person truly does love their neighbor. So for most of us now, we've, we're familiar with this parable. We've now heard it refreshed. Now let's consider together three points of application from this familiar story to us. As we consider the point of this, here's point one. Keeping the good laws of God cannot save you because you have not kept the good laws of God. That's the first point. Keeping the good laws of God cannot save you because you have not kept the good laws of God. Now, you and I would agree together that these laws we've just heard, loving God with everything, loving your neighbor yourself, these are beautiful laws. And we would agree these are completely right laws. We even see the love of God in these. Consider with me, first of all, this, this first commandment to love God with everything. This is very loving of God that he would command this of us. Somebody might object and say, well, that sounds very arrogant of God to put him first, put himself first. You got to love me first, but that is very loving. What if God did something else? What if God said, listen, don't love me first. That sounds so terrible for me to say, love sports first, you know, just go crazy for your sports team. Put that first, put me down somewhere else. What if God said this? Now don't, don't put me first. That sounds so bad. Um, you know, put money first. Love money with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God would be hurting us if he sent us on that quest. Or what if we said, look, I'm going to love my grandchildren first. Or I'm going to love my, my children first. That's unfair to do to your family. They can't bear the weight of those expectations that you're putting on them. Only God is the one who can love you as you need to be loved. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul and help you navigate this life. So God is loving you when he says, here's the greatest commandment. Love me with everything. And in that we're going to experience the greatest love we can ever imagine and all the joy and all the peace and all that he's promised to us. So we say this is a beautiful law that God gave. It is so right. But then we quickly have to acknowledge, and I have not kept that law. I have fallen short of that first commandment. But what about the second one? Isn't it beautiful? Love your neighbor as yourself. We say that is beautiful. We say that is right. That's how people ought to live. But then we say, I didn't live that way. But wouldn't you love to live in a world where everybody all the time loved their neighbor as themselves? We don't live in that world. That's why we have crime. Those are moments when somebody's certainly not loving other people. They're thinking of themselves. And that's why we have wars in the world and threats of wars like right now, because people are not loving neighbor as themselves. Everything's broken down. But, but can I tell you, if you have repented of sins and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, you one day will live in a place where these two laws are being kept all the time. Like right now in heaven, the one who believed in Jesus in this life is now experiencing the free gift of eternal life. They're in a place now where everybody there loves God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And everybody there in heaven is loving each other as they love themselves. One day when Jesus comes and he ushers in the millennium and, and the new earth and all that's to come, we're going to live on the new earth where everybody loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, loves their neighbor as themselves. But right now, we're among the people that are failing at this all the time. So we're just making the point, we're blind if we think that we've come close to keeping these two commandments. In fact, now look at me, look with me at this good Samaritan as Jesus describes him in this story that he tells here. 
This is what it means to love your neighbors yourself. Here's a guy who crossed a social boundary to help somebody he didn't even know. So here he is, a Samaritan. And you may know that the Samaritans and the Jewish people at that time, they hated one another. Such enmity between the two, the Jewish people saw them as unclean spiritually, unclean ethnically, didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so as Jesus crafts the story to make the point he's making, he has the Samaritan be the good guy reaching out to the Jewish person who would have hated him had this been real. So he crossed a social boundary. He also risked helping somebody on a dangerous road. So if you stop to help somebody on a road plagued with robbers, you're putting yourself at risk to tarry there any longer. Also, here's a guy, as Jesus told the story, delayed his own plans to get involved with somebody in need. We see him tenderly cleansing and treating the wounds. We see this Samaritan putting this injured person on his own animal and carrying him to an end. And now we see money involved. He pays the innkeeper two days wages, two denarii, take care of him. And then this kind of a blank check. He says, you know, whatever else you spend taking care of the stranger I've just brought in here, I'll pay you. That's verse 35. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That's amazing. Jesus, that's, that's what it looks like when you love your neighbor as yourself. And he's contrasting here that priest that walked by, the Levite that walked by, and so Jesus asked the question of this lawyer, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? And I got to think the lawyer reluctantly gave the correct answer. The one who showed him mercy. I, I find it noteworthy that he didn't use the word Samaritan. I don't think he could make himself say it. No, the Samaritan was right. You know, he could say that. All right. The one, the one who helped out. And Jesus is making the point that who's, who's your neighbor? It's everybody. Even strangers are your neighbor. Don't narrowly define it. And this is what it looks like when you love a neighbor like you love yourself in this parable that he told. Now notice here what he says in verse 37. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now what that lawyer should have said when Jesus said that, he should have been broken at that point and he should have said, I can't do that. I've never done that. I've never loved like that. That's, that's what it should have brought humility in him. And, and that idea of loving God with everything, I, I'd like to, but I can't, I fall short of that. So you and I, as we think about our lives, we think about, well, how have I helped other people? And usually what you and I can do, we can go to a kind of highlight reel of our lives on those occasions when we did something that was sort of like what the Good Samaritan did. Usually it's, it's when you help somebody in your family in a very sacrificial way, or, or you helped your best friend and you think, yeah, sometimes I do that. I can think about a time that was years ago now when I was in seminary and I, I did a couple of janitor jobs to provide for us as a family while in school. And I remember going from one of those janitor spots to the other building I was going to go clean, driving on the interstate. And I see a guy, well-dressed man with a nice car, broken down on the side of the road. This is before cell phones. And so I think I should help the guy. I just felt like I should. So I pulled in behind him and I'm dressed for it. I'm dressed for work. So I can get down there while he's in his tie and suit. I can change his tire. And so I did that, got him on his way, wished him well, and off we go. I don't tell that story to brag because there's nothing to brag about. That was like 30 years ago. I have not done that good deed since. And all the people I've passed on the road, uh, now, now I probably think, maybe like some of you think, they probably have a phone. They probably have a phone. Everybody's got a phone. Probably got AAA. So, I, so I'm just saying, I can go to a highlight reel and say, I helped that guy one time. Look at me. 
But I can tell you a lot of my life, I've been like the priest and the Levite where I drove by, don't have time, don't know what the situation is. That looks pretty dangerous. I don't know about this. That's been probably the dominant thing. So we're just saying the laws are wonderful, but we fail to meet the standard of the law. So let me ask you, are you seeing your sin here? Yeah, congratulations on those times when you loved like that. But this is exposing that we haven't typically loved like that. So we understand that we have not always loved like that. We fall short. So the first point we're making is simply this. Keeping the good laws of God cannot save you because we have not kept the good laws of God. Here's the second point this morning. You need God to forgive and justify you. You need God to forgive and justify you. So remember the question that started this whole conversation. Hey, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus engages here. And then that question, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells all this. And so we see here's the standard of what it looks like to love God and love others. And so we can say to ourselves, all right, when, when have I loved like this? I think a lot of us could say, I've loved my children like that many times. That'd be a place, a decent set of parents could look at their, how they've raised their kids and the sacrifice involved in that. You know, they, there are many times when I've loved like that with, with my children. We might think about our, our aging parents and when have I loved my parents like that? Then we drop it down some and say, well, sometimes. I can, give, I can give a sometimes that I've loved like that even within my own family, but not always. I can't go always. How about this? Do it with me. Think about when you've helped another Christian like something like what the Good Samaritan, you got that deeply involved, invested in helping a person need. You, you say, well, sometimes through my Christian experience, sometimes I did something approaching that. How about this one? When did you do this with a complete stranger? What, what could you go with? Always? Probably like me, you can go, I can go to a sometimes. That might be generous. It might be like, I mean, it's infrequent, random, seldom. I don't know. You come up with some other word. So here's the point. This humbles us. When we look at these two laws, we're not looking at those thinking, I'm, I think I'm good with God. If we're paying attention, we see these two laws actually condemn me rather than affirm me and make me worthy of heaven. But here's the good news. These laws were never intended to save you. Jesus came to save us. Jesus is the one who lived perfectly, listen, and loved perfectly, loved the Father perfectly, loved everybody else perfectly. This is the one who can save us. This is the one, think about his love. He went to a cross for you to die for all of your lawbreaking and was raised from the dead. And the offer is if you believe in him, you will live forever. There is your secret to eternal life. In fact, the scripture explains this so clearly in the new covenant. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You and I could never perform our way into being worthy for heaven. We've broken the law. But God can justify us. God can save us. And so we ask Jesus to save us. Or Romans 3, 21, it says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you hear it? Not the law. It's apart from the law. It's a grace gift that you receive through receiving Jesus Christ. 
Jesus spoke this way himself in John 3.16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So let me ask you, are you like this lawyer trying to justify yourself? Have you been thinking, I, I really think if anybody's gonna go to heaven, I'm gonna go because I'm really nicer than the average person. I really would get in there and help people. Through the years, having gospel conversations with people, sometimes you'll ask that question, hey, do you know for certain that you're going to go to heaven when you die? A lot of people say, I think so, I hope so, I hope so anyway. Well, why do you, why do you feel like you're gonna go to heaven? And they'll go right here, they'll go right here. You know, I, I, I love to help people. It's just kind of how I am, I love to help people. I'm the type of person, some of them will say, that I'd give you the shirt off my back. And, and I don't doubt that they would do some nice things on occasion, but they've overestimated that this is their lifestyle. I think what typically a person is saying, you know, if I really like you, and if you're in my family circle, you're in my group of friends, I'm the type of person who really go out of my way to help you. But I don't think anybody among the people who says, I'm going to heaven based on how I'm so nice, they're not doing anything like what Jesus describes here with the Good Samaritan. Helping a total stranger to that degree. Listen, this, this story, this parable does not make you feel like, I think I've got this. This should humble you and lead you to call on Jesus. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we've been just saying this, that keeping the good laws of God cannot save you because you have not kept the good laws of God. We also saw this, you need God to forgive and justify you. You need to call on Jesus and he'll do that for you. And then this, as believers, we must love God and neighbor. As believers, we must love God and neighbor. So we've been making the point that Jesus is really making the ultimate point here. You can't save yourself. And he's really trying to humble this lawyer. But it would be a mistake if we leave our application just there and fail to see this parable of the Good Samaritan and see its call to us to continue to love God with everything and love others as ourselves. Remember, Jesus was asked a question one time, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he responded with the very same thing the lawyer said here. This is Mark 12, verses 28 and following. This person asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So just hear with me, believer. This still remains the command of God for his children. We're not to keep these laws in order to try to be saved. Wouldn't work. We trust Jesus to be saved. But now that we are saved, this is to mark the lives we live as disciples, to love God supremely and to love other people more sacrificially. This is what he's called us to. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Listen to this. This is 1 John 4, 7 and following. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, listen to this, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I love 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 16. Listen how practical this is. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So that's talking to believers. Already received the free gift of salvation. What's he say? Hey, you, you should be loving people. God laid in his life for you. Jesus laid in his life for you. You should be doing this for others, especially among the believers. So I'm challenged by this parable. Aren't you? So as I think about this, so one of the ways that God's been challenging me with this parable this week as I've been meditating on it is that I need to make sure that I'm expanding my love for others beyond just nice loving feelings that I might have for them. Because you can have a lot of feelings, but you never act on them. So I, I just have a general sense of love for mankind. Well, I need to expand my love for others beyond that. Here's another way that God's been challenging me to expand the scope of my love and involvement beyond my family, beyond my friends, even beyond our church family, including all that. But, but what about those outside of our circle? So let's just talk about a couple of ways this might look in our lives. First of all, if we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, it's going to show up in a greater involvement in international missions. I mean, this is one of the outworkings of this. So when we consider the heart of God, that we want the heart of God to be our heart. And so we start thinking about neighbor, these people we've never met who don't know Jesus, some of them in places we could barely pronounce, if we can pronounce it all. Like, what about them? They've never heard the gospel. This is one of the things we do on Wednesday nights. We'll pray for an unengaged, unreached people group. So maybe it's a people group of 10,000 or maybe a people group of a million, but they, they, they have no access to the gospel. And we learn of them in a place we barely can say, what about them? And so that's a loving thing to do to pray for them. Hey, if you were in an unengaged, unreached people group somewhere in the world, now you wouldn't know to, you wouldn't know to be concerned, but if you were there and could think, what would you want somebody to do for you? You would want somebody to love you enough that they don't know you to pray that the gospel would reach you. And so one of the ways when we think about what's it going to look like that I love my neighbor as myself, it's going to draw us into international missions. We're going to pray for them. I invite you to come on Wednesdays and pray for unreached people groups. It's going to send you on some mission trips. Whereas there's a need there, I'm going to go. In fact, this afternoon, a team of students and adults will be training the first night of training before this summer's trip to the Dominican Republic to work with the Wheelers. Another way it's going to show up is in our giving toward missions. And so what a beautiful offering that we're giving toward international missions, almost at our goal of $150,000. Why is that loving? Because people need Jesus. Still haven't heard of Jesus 2,000 years since we had the Great Commission. And so we're just showing love for people that we don't know by name, that we hope to one day meet in heaven by giving toward missions. And certainly the willingness, Lord, if you want to send me and my family, we'll go. We'll go again. What are you calling us to do? Another way this would show up in our lives is helping people in crisis. In fact, that's the kind of story Jesus told here with the Good Samaritan. And so for us, it could look like giving money to send relief. Send relief is that Southern Baptist disaster relief arm. And 
human needs arm, and it's a beautiful ministry that we get to fund through all year our cooperative program giving, but you can give extra gifts into that. When you hear about a world crisis, like, who can I trust? I'm going to give through Send Relief. You can actually be trained as a disaster relief volunteer yourself. Our church can help you with that. You can be part of our own disaster relief team. And when there's a crisis in Virginia, you'd be a person who said, look, I'm going to try to ask my boss for a week off work that I can go help somebody whose house has been flooded out. In fact, you think about if your house had been flooded out and there's mud two feet up in your house, what would you want somebody to do for you? You would hope that somebody who doesn't know you might lend a hand to help you out. You and I want to be those people as we consider the words here about loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's helping needs on your street. It's blessing people with what you have. Listen, a couple other things that come to mind here. It's serving in your local church. So you'll hear about needs from time to time, and I I get it. It's a lot easier to go, somebody else will probably take care of that need, because it's a lot easier just to come and worship, as great as that is. And you might assume, yeah, when I hear about those needs for children's Sunday school workers or those Wednesday night children's workers or those VBS workers, maybe somebody else will do it. But, but aren't we told here, listen, be others focused, be Godward focused and other people should so love people as I want to be loved, love people as myself. Then maybe I should initiate and, and respond to that and offer myself to serve. It's, it's like these guys in AV back here who are, who are always behind the scenes. And they do such a good job. We hardly notice they're there. And right now, live streaming out, we couldn't do it without them. That's just, it'd be easier not to do that. But here it's loving other people. Let me serve. It's welcoming guests. It's helping somebody in need in your life group. And then one other expression of, of dozens we could talk about. It's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people right here in town. As I was meditating on this passage this week in preparation to preach to you, I thought about that story Jesus told. And you've got this man bloodied on the side of the road, having been beaten up, robbed. And I think, you know, it really is a picture in a sense of every unbeliever. Satan's done a number on them, blinded them, taken things from them. There they are. They may not realize they're in that type of desperate state, but that's really the picture. And you and I are walking along and we are around all kinds of people who don't know Jesus. And they're believing a lot of other things, but they're not trusting in the one and only Savior. You and I don't want to walk by like we don't notice that. We don't want to fail to have compassion they may not appreciate it in their lost state, but we want to turn toward them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to come humbly because we know what it's like to be in bondage to sin and broken and deserving of judgment. So we're not any better, but we're going to come to them with a rescue mentality. Jesus saved me. He cleaned me up. He bandaged up my wounds and gave me a new life and a new heart. I know the one that can do this for you. Yes, we're going to help practical needs too, but we're going to bring the gospel. We dare not fail to do that. It's the way we love people. We can't act like we're indifferent to their eternal plight. So today, come to know Jesus as your Savior. Be humbled by these good laws and trust in the one who can cleanse you. And then, and then join Jesus in this very outward-focused life of sacrificial love and ministry to others. Let's pray together.